0: of David. So, if you've been uh, been with us, this, uh, this is message number six on the life of David, and so uh, we're gonna uh, continue on and, and uh, look at uh, David's life and uh, in First Samuel chapter uh, twenty-five this morning. But uh, just by just by way of review, remember that uh, David was anointed the future king of Israel that uh, Samuel went to uh, to David's hometown of Bethlehem and was told that the the king the future king of Israel's is there he's part of Jesse's family and you remember the story that Jesse had seven sons that came before Samuel and and uh, God said not that one not that one not that one all seven went by finally uh, Samuel says to Jesse do you have any more sons and Jesse says yes I have one more son he's out in the field he's the youngest boy he's watching the sheep and you know, the story comes in and God says to Samuel, that's the one. And he's anointed the king of Israel, the future king. Now, David didn't become the king for another perhaps 15 years. He was just a teenager at that time. And uh, he, uh, a little bit later, had the experience with uh, Goliath and, and taking down Goliath. But as we studied through 1 Samuel, we discover that David became a great warrior and that all of Israel began to sing his praises, and the songs that they were singing is that Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And Saul became intensely jealous of David. In fact, we read in uh, 1 Samuel, I think it was 18 and 19, that Saul tried to kill David five times, And so David, as we come to 1 Samuel uh, chapters 24 and 25, David is a man on the run. Uh, He's he's a fugitive. He's a refugee because King Saul is uh, intent on killing David. So last week we looked at the story of uh, David on the run, and he has a band of brothers with him, about 600 men they're uh, they're hiding in in the cave in Engedi and uh providentially Saul goes into that cave says the bible says to relieve himself <laughs> he doesn't know that in the back of that cave is David and a 600 men and David's men come to him and say hey God's delivered your enemy in, in, into your hands take him out and David refuses to do that he says I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed he had an awesome respect for uh, the position of of the king, and so David cuts off a little part of his robe and uh, has a conversation with Saul afterwards. And so that was First Samuel chapter twenty four. Well, David and King Saul kind of make their peace a little bit at the end of chapter twenty four, but David's still on the run, and he's still on the run from Saul. And that's where we pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And so we're going to learn about a couple of Bible characters in the Old Testament. They're not very familiar ones. Their names are Nabal and Abigail. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, tell me, what do you know about Nabal and Abigail? If you would be like me before I studied this, it wouldn't be very much. So, um, But we're going to look at uh, these two fascinating characters. Uh, Nabal and Abigail. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 1 and we'll look at the context here. Uh, Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Some manuscripts say, some translations say Maon. So the chapter starts out with the death of Samuel. Samuel the prophet, uh, the book of 1 Samuel starts out talking about uh, the birth of Samuel. And you remember that story that Hannah was childless and she desperately wanted a child and she asked of God for a child and and God answered that prayer. And uh, Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord and took him to the the tabernacle and he, he became Eli's helper as a young boy. And Hannah would visit once a year and take him a gift, take him a robe that she made. And Samuel grows up to be the great prophet of Israel. And now Samuel dies. Their spiritual leader is dead. And Israel is mourning. And Samuel is buried in his hometown of Ramah. And then the verse closes and it says, David moved down to the desert of Paran. David is still on on the run. David's on the run. So let's meet these three characters. Um, We we know about David, but perhaps specifically Nabal and Abigail, the characters. And so here we're introduced to them in verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. So now we're introduced to um, this fellow by the name of Nabal. Uh, He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent. This is the NIV. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. What's a Calebite? Well, he he descended from the family of, of Caleb and therefore would have been in the tribe of Judah. And so here we're introduced to a husband and wife. Abigail is beautiful and intelligent. And her husband, Nabal, it says, is surly and mean. One commentator described Nabal as demanding, deceptive, and unfair. He's very wealthy, but he's not a very nice man. He's not the kind of man that you would like for your for your boss at work or to be the, your supervisor. And you might wonder how in the world did Nabal and Abigail ever you know get together and get get married. And uh, sometimes uh, uh, in life you look at couples and you say how how did they get together? And uh, and probably the answer was that this was probably an arranged marriage, uh, perhaps. But uh, so here's our our introduction that uh, Nabal is very wealthy. But he's a very um, demanding uh, and unfair in his dealings. And then there's uh, Abigail, intelligent and beautiful. Well, verse 4, David's on the run here. And we're going to look at the custom. And this is key to understanding this whole passage. So let's look at verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So now we need to get out of our, uh, you know, our culture and our context, and we need to understand the culture and context of the Old Testament. And there's something significant about this phrase that says, Nabal, this very wealthy man who has a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, is shearing his sheep. So let me uh, let me explain uh, from... Uh, Chuck Swindoll's commentary, a brief paragraph that'll give us some insight here. According to the customs of that day, at the time sheep were sheared, it was common practice for the owner of the animals to set aside a portion of the profit he made and give it to those who had protected his shepherds while they were out in the fields. And so um it was common practice that while the shepherds and the sheep were out in the fields that there would be some some people who would be like security. And and they're they're guarding the shepherds, they're guarding the sheep from uh, other wild animals, uh from other uh unscrupulous people who might come in and, and try to uh, uh do something and steal steal some of the the wealth. And so um that was that was common practice. And so then when the sheep are sheared, that was then kind of like payday, like be like tipping a waiter or a waitress for for their service. Um, There was no written law saying you had to do this, but it was common practice of showing gratitude. And so that kind of gives us some insight into this passage. So it says, when David was in the wilderness and he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, what's David thinking? It's payday for us, because as we learn later on in the passage, in uh, chapter 25, verses uh, 16 and 17, this is one of Nabal's servants uh, talking about David and his men. These men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. The whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Nobody stole our sheep. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. So David and his 600 men had been protecting Nabal and his wealth. And now it's sheep shearing time. And in David's mind, he's thinking, it's payday. And I'm going to be able to pay our, our men. And and uh, he's got high expectations. And so that's that's what's going on here. So notice his instructions. Verse 5, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel, greet him in my name, uh, say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time, payday. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. We did our job perfectly, he's saying. Ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my men. Since we've come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And so David sends 10 of his men to Nabal and he is expecting that Nabal is going to send some gifts, some financial remuneration for all that they have done. But little does David know that he's dealing with, as uh, the Scripture described him, a surly, mean, unfair man by the name of, of Nabal. So in verse uh, 9, here's, here's the conflict. It said, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, exactly what David just told him. And then it says they waited. And they're they're waiting to be to see you know how much Nabal is going to, to to bless them with, but notice Nabal's response. Nabal answered David's servant, "Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days." Why should I take my bread and water and meat I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Uh, Nabal gives them nothing. In fact, he insults David. And, uh, uh, you know, it it would be like uh, the analogy of a a waitress that waits on a table of like 25 guests in a restaurant and she's just running back and forth uh, the whole time, serves them very, very well. And. They uh, leave her no tip. And uh, David uh, gets nothing from this mean, unfair man by the name of Nabal. And uh, it's interesting how David reacts. Now, last week in 1 Samuel 24, we saw David exercise great restraint because he had his enemy, King Saul, right in his hands. And all of his men are saying, take him out. And David shows great restraint and says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed." In this particular chapter, David overreacts he overreacts and uh, let 's let 's look at uh, um, the rest of the text here the conflict of avoided and uh, we 're going to read a, a lot of scripture here, but we got to kind of get the narrative here uh, from first samuel twenty five so um, it says in in verse 12 David's men turned around and went back and when they arrived they reported every word David said to his men each of you strap on your sword so they did and David strapped on his as well they're they're going to battle uh they 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 are David is is uh, upset About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So David and his 400 men uh, take their swords and they take off to to Nabal, to visit Nabal. And you know what they're intent on doing? They're going to kill him. They want to take him out. And I know that because as we get a little later on in the in the chapter, verse 22, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male alive of all who belong to him. So David and his 400 men are intent on not only killing Nabal, but all the male descendants and relatives in his family. David overreacts and he gets his 400 men and they are on their way to take out Nabal, and uh, that's where we see uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, uh, step into the picture. And um, this woman who is uh, uh, intelligent and wise um, does something uh, very, very important here. So let's look at the, the conflict avoided, the conflict avoided. So one of Nabal's servants tells Abigail what's going on here. You know, hey, your husband insulted the future king. Uh, your husband gave him nothing. And uh, David and his men are not happy. And so the servant says to Abigail, verse 17, think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over your mas- our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So the servant tells, tells Abigail, Hey, this is a crisis. Uh, David and his men are out to come to get your husband and his relatives and and you need to think this over. We can't talk to Nabal because he's a foolish man. He's, a, he, he, he's not someone who will listen to us. And so Abigail uh, steps into the picture. Look at verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. <laughs> It's not a time to kind of sit back and say, okay, uh, what should we do here? Abigail acts quickly. Notice what she did. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, 60 pounds of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She loads up gifts for King David, or soon to be King David. She loads up uh, 60 pounds of grain and, and all these gifts to, to uh, satisfy David and what his men had done. And she sends them on ahead uh, of her. She acted quickly. Well, um, we need to read the text here, and um, so bear with me here. She came riding her donkey, verse 20, into a mountain ravine. There were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, notice his frustration here. It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good you ever been in that situation where you feel like you did something good and you got nothing in return? Uh, in fact, you got evil in return. And then, as we read, he, he mentions his intentions. We're going we're to take out Nabal and his family. So it says in verse 23, "'When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at her feet and said, "'Pardon your servant, my lord,' And let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. That's her husband. He is just like his name. His name means fool. His name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, she knows David is going to be the next king. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. That, that's an amazing speech. Uh, that, there, that's a, a, a woman that um, is intelligent, is very, very wise. Uh, you know, J- Jesus said in uh, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and that's the role that Abigail's playing here. Um, she knows there's a crisis. She knows that his, her husband's in danger. And she acts quickly and, and she gives gifts to David and she offers this incredible speech. And David listens and David repents of what he was going to do. And he responds to Abigail. Verses 32-35, through 35, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal Would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted her hand, from her hand, what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Whew, crisis averted. Nabal's life saved. Nabal's extended male relatives saved and rescued from David and his 400 men coming and, and impulsively taking them out and killing them for um, their actions. And it was Abigail who stepped in. We don't have time to uh, look at the conclusion of the story, at least read the verses in 36 through 43. Let me tell you what, what happens, how this story concludes um, when Abigail tells Nabal uh, what she has done and she kind of waits um, a day or two because Nabal's at a feast and is, is completely drunk. And so she waits till the next day and tells him what, what had happened. Um, verse 37, just very quickly, in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. He has either a stroke or a heart attack. Ten days later, he's dead. It says the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And so Nabal, the the foolish, wealthy business owner, dies. David feels vindicated by God. And David takes Abigail as his own wife. And uh, I don't know what wife this is in David's life. Um, Let me just say, just because the Bible records something doesn't mean that God approves of it. And we see this in the Old Testament uh, of of, um, some of the men having lots of wives. Uh, We also see the principle that the the, the sins in one generation sometimes are multiplied in the next generation because we read of Solomon, David's son, and he ends up with, what, 700 wives. Um, And so uh, Nabal dies David feels vindicated, and then he takes Abigail as his wife. Well, that's just a quick drive-through of 1 Samuel 25 and this um, story about um, David and Nabal and Abigail. Uh, But in our time remaining, what I'd like to do is just think about three lessons. What what can we learn from 1 Samuel 25 from um, this uh, interesting story And uh, so let me share them very, very quickly. Um, Here's the first lesson. The first lesson is that death is certain in our lives. Uh, The chapter begins with Samuel dying. Uh, Verse 1, we read now, Samuel the prophet died. The chapter ends with Nabal dying. So it's bookended by death, and it's just a reminder of the world in which we live uh, Hebrews 9:27 and it is appointed unto man once to die and so uh, we recognize uh that we are um all mortal and that unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime uh we will all face death someday and that should be a sobering thought, and that should bring up the question, uh, are we prepared and ready for eternity? The most important question in all of life. Uh, what's beyond the grave? And uh, psalm, psalm 90 reminds us of the brevity of life. And Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses writes in the oldest psalm, so teach us to number our days so we may live a life of wisdom. Lord, help us to realize that our time is short And then help us to live wisely. Someone paraphrased that verse. Lord, teach us to count our days so we can make our days count. And so every day that God gives us is a gift from God. And we need to uh, be prepared for eternity. And hopefully everybody here has put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. and, And his shed blood on the cross as payment for their sin. But we also need to what? Share that good news with those that uh, need to hear the good news of Jesus. One-third of our world's population has never heard the name of Jesus, has never heard the good news of the gospel. And that's why um, us sharing the good news, that's why partnering with missions is so vitally important to get the good news of the gospel out. Secondly, second lesson, uh, death is certain, we need, we need to be prepared. Uh, secondly, we need to think about the danger of unmet expectations. Uh, we could say the danger of disappointment in our life. So what was the whole key fulcrum in, in this text? It's when David's ten men came back to him and said, Nabal basically insulted you and uh, you're getting zero." He's not, he's not giving you a thing, and David was uh, David was expecting just the opposite, and so uh, David reacts in a um, not a good way, and he's mad, and he's angry, and he acts impulsively, and so our question is, and uh, how do we react when our expectations are not met in life, which is a part of life, isn't it? And when we face disappointment, how are we to react? Remember the story in the Old Testament about the king of Syria. His name was Naaman, and Naaman had leprosy, and he finds out that there's a prophet in in Israel who uh, could probably heal him, and his servant girl told him that. And so the arrangement is that um, Naaman then goes to the prophet Elijah's house and Naaman is expecting that Elijah will come down and say some words and immediately heal him. And Elisha doesn't even come down to meet the king of Syria. He just sends word and says, go dip in the uh, uh, the river there in Damascus seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman is furious because it's not what he expected. He was kind of talked into it. And they said, well, what do you have to lose? And he he does it and he's healed. So how do we handle Unmet expectations and disappointment. Because it happens in our life. Um, in a marriage. In the marketplace. Uh, uh, there's a promotion coming up and you're expecting to get that promotion and uh, someone else gets it. It happens in, in ministry um, when we have expectations. Um, I've I've shared the story of our first first ministry experience back in 1981, and called to be an associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Ohio, uh, Northern Ohio, and I was fresh out of seminary, and I couldn't wait to get involved in ministry and and uh, to be uh, uh, on a church staff. And uh, here were my expectations as uh, as I was uh, starting that church ministry that um i was going to show up at eight o'clock in the morning at my office and then uh, the pastor and i would then uh, he'd, he'd call me down to his office and would uh, uh, have a time of sharing together probably a time of devotions together praying together and then would strategize in ministry and that's how we would start our day and those were my expectations and um when I got there, I got introduced to, uh, he started, uh, to something he called hand theology. And my first few days there, I'm out, uh, fertilizing the front lawn of the church, you know, and I'm thinking, I think you needed to hire a janitor, not an associate pastor. <laughs> I could go on and on in that, uh, of, of unmet expectations and disappointment. And it happens in our lives. And how do we respond? And um, what I would say is we need to let our disappointments drive us to a sovereign God. And we need to put our hope in him and our expectations in him and him alone because Jesus never fails. And when we're disappointed and when our expectations aren't met, um, this is something that I think would have benefited David. When we're deeply disappointed, we need to probably take 24 hours and just have a little cooling-off period, you know? Because when we act rationally and impulsively, we don't make wise decisions. And David certainly didn't hear. He's like, all right, let's go take out Nabal and all his men. And so um, just some time uh, to process uh, is, is helpful um, in our lives. Well, lastly, and we'll conclude with this, um, Life lesson number three. Godly wisdom can avert many of our life's problems. Godly wisdom. So here, we want to focus on Abigail. Abigail, the beautiful, intelligent, wise wife. Nabal, the fool. And if you want to pattern your life after somebody in this text, you want to pattern your life after Abigail. Three quick things here that we can model after Abigail. First of all, uh, the wisdom of approachability, approachability. She was approachable. In other words, when this problem arose, the servants came to to her. They didn't come to her husband. Uh, why? Because of, it's given to us in the text, verse 17, he's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. He's so wicked, nobody can talk to him. But Abigail was approachable. And so we have to ask the question, are we approachable? Do do people have to kind of like walk on eggshells when they're around us? Or can people in our lives um, approach us and know that they'll have a listening ear? And know that we're going to have initially a non-reactionary response. We're not going to blow our top. Oh, this is incredibly important for all of us. It's incredibly important for parents. For parents to have that open door so that their kids, young people, and teenagers know they can tell them anything. Because there's a wide open door of approachability. And Abigail was approachable. Uh, Secondly, um, we can model the wisdom of Abigail, and it's the wisdom of decisive action. Decisive action. It says in verse 18, the first three words, Abigail acted quickly. If Abigail would have waited, if she would have said, let me think about this, I'm not sure what to do, David and his men would have taken out her husband, and all those relatives. But Abigail knew there was a crisis, and she acted decisively. And yes, there's a time to think, and there's a time to listen, but Abigail acted quickly. The Old Testament talks about a group of men called the sons of Issachar. It says they understood the times, and they knew what to do. And Abigail knew what to do. She knew there's a window of opportunity here and I need to act quickly. And so she loaded up all those goods on the donkeys and says, Go on ahead of me and meet David. Abigail acted decisively. And it's my observation, just in life in general, that when we're facing problems, when we're facing sometimes crisis, um, We, we wait too long to take action. Sometimes we wait too long to, to act decisively. Uh, in many, in many areas. Oftentimes in marriage problems. We wait too long to get help. Um, in in parenting, uh, sometimes when we're dealing with stuff, we we need to humble ourselves, and we need to get a band of people around us, and we need we need to get help, and we need to pray pray for our kids, and we need to pray for those that aren't our kids and grandkids that aren't walking with God. And sometimes we need to act. God, do I need to do something? What would you have me to do with our health? It's true mostly of men. Now I'm preaching to the choir. We wait too long to go to the doctor, don't we? It's not a wise thing to do. Um, So oftentimes, we wait too long. And yes, there's a time to wait, but there's also a time to act. And thank God, Abigail acted quickly, and she saved many, many lives. Well, lastly, the third one, uh, what we can model from Abigail is uh, we can model uh, the wisdom of her humility Humility. Did you notice this in, in her uh, speech when she finally met David? And notice notice what she does here and, and the, her humility. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Oh, she talked about humility. She recognizes this is the future king of Israel. And so she bows down to him, and notice how she um, addresses him. She calls him, my Lord, uh, lowercase l. That's a cultural thing. But in verses 25 through 31, she refers to herself as uh, David's servant seven times. Seven times. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Uh, she intervenes here in verse 28. Please forgive your servant's pre- presumption. Uh, so she gives this speech of humility. She calls herself David's servant. She's face down on the ground and in, in honoring him because she recognizes that David is the next king. The wisdom of Abigail. Now she's going to make a request that David not take action in retribution for what Nabal's done. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, uh, Peter writes, um, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Then he quotes Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And Abigail humbled herself before David, and God honored that humility. And Abigail then became the wife of the future king of Israel. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, death is certain. I trust everybody here knows Jesus as their Savior. The danger of disappointment and unmet expectations. Um, there's one person that will never disappoint you, and it's God, because Jesus never fails, and God honors his promises all the time. And we need to live wisely. We need to find wisdom. We didn't read our scripture passage this morning, but it was in Proverbs chapter 4 for our scripture reading, where it says, get wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get wisdom and understanding. And where is wisdom found? It's found in the person of Jesus, Colossians 2, 3. In him are hidden all uh, the, the, the wisdom and knowledge of God is in Jesus. And James 1, 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom... We should ask God who gives liberally, who will give you wisdom. And Wisdom is found in the pages of Scripture and wisdom is found in godly counsel. And we need to model the wisdom of Abigail. So what are you facing today where you might need to, yes, pray and ask God for wisdom, but also have the courage to act like Abigail did? May God give us the wisdom to know when to wait on him, but also when to act. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these stories in the Old Testament. Lord, they're not fairy tale stories. They're not make-believe stories. They are uh, stories that you have placed in your scripture for our benefit and our learning and our wisdom. And so uh, we thank you today for um, the wisdom of Abigail. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, face challenges in life, as we face crises in life, as we all eventually will, Lord, help us to model um, the humility of Abigail and uh, the the wisdom to act decisively uh, from your word. Lord, one thing we can do today and act in decisively is to share the gospel, to get the good news of the gospel to those that uh, need desperately to know you. Give us the courage to do that. Help us to be aware of opportunities this week to share your truth with a lost and dying world and help us to have the courage of Abigail to act. And we'll thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.